You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, welcome to On the NBA Beat. Aaron couldn't be here today, so it's just me, Lauren Lee Chen, who will be guiding you through this conversation. Never fear though, I'm not alone. Joining me is longtime friend of the show, friend of mine, and hopefully friend of yours, Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report newsletter and podcast. We're going to be diving deep into the Portland Trailblazers today, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Sean, welcome back. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I think we were talking about this off air, and it was literally 2015, the last time you and I did one of these together. And I was I was covering the Bulls back then, but also, like, if people want to know how far you and I go back, I think we hung out at the first summer league I ever went to in 2012. Mm-hmm. And you were like one of my OG Twitter friends from like 2010 or 2011. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be doing this with you. Yeah, we're both at different stages in our life, both probably living in different cities. But the more things change, the more things stay the same. And I'm glad you're here with me today. Yeah. The first thing I want to talk about is the exciting possibly brutal for you playoff preview loss that the Blazers just had to Denver on Thursday for a while looked like a vintage Dame time performance Damian Lillard scored 14 of the last 16 points for the Blazers go ahead three with 8.8 seconds left but Jamal Murray had the amazing game winning three to win it for the Nuggets what were your takeaways from that game That was the most fun game that I've covered the whole year. Like you said, it was like a vintage Dame game. And Dame, by and large, when he's been healthy, you know, he's missed a couple of stints this season with the calf strain. But when he's been on the court, he's looked like Dame. He's looked pretty much like, you know, the Dame that people know and and have expected at this point. But for me, just it was cool to see Jamal Murray kind of because, you know, he's he's obviously he missed the whole last season with the ACL Mm -hmm. and. This season early on, it's kind of been rough for him because, you know, whenever somebody misses a whole season and has one of those knee injuries, it's tough to, you know, get back right away. And this looked a little bit more like the Jamal Murray that was like having those, you know, playoff battles with Donovan Mitchell in the bubble a couple of years ago. And I got the sense that he kind of needed a game like that to to feel like he was getting back. So it was it was it was cool to see that. I, I it was it was a fun game. It was not the result the Blazers wanted, and they were pretty upset afterwards about you're up two, you can't give up a three-pointer. If right. you give up a two, this is something Chauncey Billups said after the game, you give up a two, you tie the game, it goes to overtime, you can deal with that. But if you give up a three, then that's the worst thing you can do. And so I think they were pretty unhappy with even just allowing that shot, but it was a great shot. It was. And, you know, 15 lead changes, two ties in the last seven minutes, certainly something you might look forward to happening a few more times in, in April to June. It's really bunched up in the West, so who knows what the matchups are going to end up being come playoff time. Blazers sit at 13 and 12 as of recording time. I'm going to pull the standings up too just to have them because they change every day. Yeah, they're ninth in the West right now. They are half a game out of top six. They Mm -hmm. are 
two games out of fourth. Right. There are four games out of the one seed. Like that's how close everything is right now. And it's, it's so interesting to me because you look at the East, it's clearly Boston and Milwaukee and then like a big gap and then everybody else. And those are the two best teams. There's not really a team in the West that has really set themselves apart. And I think for Portland and really for any of these other teams, they look at the way the West looks and say, why can't we go to the finals out of the West? Why can't we get through the playoffs? Because I don't think there's any team that has really set themselves apart so far. As you said, four games out of the one spot, of course, as of recording time Saturday afternoon. But on the flip side, you're also three games ahead of the Lakers at 13. So that's how crazy close it's been this season. And for the Blazers, there was the 10 and 4 stretch to start the season. Three and eight cents, obviously a little bit disappointing and included in there is the stretch that Damian Lillard missed. Right before the season started, the Vegas line for the regular season win total over under was 39.5. Which of those marks do you think is closest to where their true strength is between those three? Well, I've been saying since those lines came out at the beginning of the before the season started that that 39 and a half over. I'm not I don't personally bet on sports, but mm-hmm. if I were, that 39 and a half was such a lock to me that I was kind of shocked that the line was that low just because a healthy Damian Lillard is a 45 win team by itself. We've seen that over the years and I think this is probably a more talented team in terms of the pieces he's had around him that he's had since you know, I would say the last time he he had a team that was this good and this deep was that last LaMarcus Aldridge, Nicholas Batum, Wesley Matthews year in 2015. Since then, it's basically been like the Dame and CJ show, and then you kind of switch out the other pieces. Now it's like Anthony Simons has kind of stepped into that role as, you know, the number two scorer, and then Jeremy Grant has been really good. And so they have kind of three guys that can, they have three guys that have scored, had 40-point games uh, in the season, and it's not a fluke either way. Those are three guys that can do that. So I don't think they're a title contender and I don't think they think they're a title contender either. That's the other part about it is that, is that Joe Crone and the general manager went into the season saying that he doesn't think this roster is complete and he doesn't think it's good enough right now to contend that is still kind of a work in progress. So I don't think they're as good as that 10 and four start. And I also don't think they're as bad as the three and eight stretch that they had without Dame. I think they're probably somewhere in the middle. And up, but, I, but I will say this, going into the season, people were asking me where I was predicting they would end up in the West. And I said they would probably make the playoffs as a seven or eight seed out of the play-in. At this point, I'm pretty comfortable saying I think they're going to be top six. Just because if you look at their schedule, they've had like they're currently in the middle of the toughest part of their schedule. They've had a ton of road games. I, I said this the other day. Their last game of the calendar year of 2022, their last game of December, is against the Warriors in Golden State. That'll be their 21st road game of the year. So they'll go into the new calendar year having already played over half of their road schedule for the season. And you look at the teams that they've played so far, and even on that 10-3 and uh, start, it's not like they were just you know loading up on games against good teams. They beat Phoenix twice. They beat Denver. They beat... New Orleans in New Orleans on a back-to-back. They beat Miami in Miami. Like, they've beaten good teams during that stretch. So it's not like they just, you know, got off to this good start because they were just, like, playing a bunch of, like, lottery teams. And I I said when the schedule first came out that if they could get to Christmas at 500, that they'd be in great shape because the second half of their schedule is a lot of games against teams like 
Oklahoma City and Houston and San Antonio and the teams that by the, even even if some of those teams so far have been better than expected, a lot of those teams I think by that point in the season are going to be kind of going for victor. So they'll be able to pick up a lot of regular season wins at that point in the schedule. Plus they're just home a lot more. So I think they're going to be able to load up that way. And so I think record wise, I don't know how they're going to do in the playoffs. It's probably going to depend on what matchup they get, but record wise, I'm pretty comfortable saying, I think they're going to end up top six in the West at this point. Speaking of some of the teams that were initially projected to not necessarily have a great season, does the, overperformance of I'm specifically thinking of teams like Utah and Sacramento does that affect how you're predicting the Blazers will land seating wise and also underperformance of teams like the Clippers Warriors and I don't know if you want to throw the Lakers into that mix but they might be there as well Minnesota would be the one that I would go to there I don't I'm not even thinking about the Lakers I I'm not taking them seriously even as a play-in team until mm-hmm. notice like I'm not even thinking about the Lakers but I don't think those teams I mean I do think that some of the underperforming teams affect how I view Portland because I don't know how confident I am that those teams are going to turn a turn it around like with the Clippers for example I need to see Kawhi Leonard be healthy for half a season before I mm-hmm. start to really take them seriously and I don't know how much I think that's going to happen. The Minnesota thing is just really, and they're, and they're actually, it's a good time that we're recording this because they're about to play them twice in the next three days. They're playing both here in Portland. They're playing them in a couple of hours. I'm going to go leave for that game after I finish recording with you. And then they're playing here again on Monday. So I'm going to get to see them up close, but that is a team, you know, obviously they made a huge swing this summer to trade for Rudy Gobert and, that fit with him and Towns hasn't really worked out. And now Towns is out and we don't know how long he's going to be out. So I'm not really sure that those teams are going to end up really riding the ship. And then with Utah and Sacramento, I do think, I mean, you've already kind of started to see Utah come back down to earth a little bit after that performance. I don't think they're as bad as like a Houston or a San Antonio or the teams that are already kind of openly tanking, but I think Portland is more talented than they are. And I think Portland is definitely more talented than, Sacramento and I do think Sacramento's decent. I think they're going to end up a play-in team which for them is going to be, you know, a huge improvement over what they've been for the last 15 or 16 years or however long it's been that they haven't been in the playoffs, but I think Portland is better than both of those teams. And another thing that has been making the evaluation process a little bit difficult for the Blazers as we pass the quarter mark of the season is just how much injuries that they've dealt with So far, we've already talked about Lillard missing 11 games. Gary Payton, too, hasn't played yet. I think you reported that he expects to be back soon, right? That's what they're saying. And it's his whole situation is kind of weird because he had the same core surgery that Dame had last year that shut him down for the season. Mm -hmm. It's not that serious of a surgery. He, you know, Dame could have played at the end of last season if there was any reason for him to play if they weren't tanking by that point. So Gary Payton had that surgery in July. For, for I don't know why they didn't announce it until September, but they, for whatever reason, they didn't announce it until September, even though he had it in July. And when they announced it in September, they said that he was going to miss training camp and the preseason, but that he was going to be back for the start of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And then once the regular season got closer, they started pushing it back and saying, well, he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. He's making progress, but he'll re- re- reevaluated in two weeks. He'll be out for two weeks. The last time they gave an official update was a little over two weeks ago when they said he'd be reevaluated in two weeks. And now this past week, 
he's ruled out for tonight. We're recording this a couple hours before their first of the Minnesota games. All I know is that he's ruled out for tonight. But mm-hmm. earlier this week, he returned to practice and participated fully. What I heard about that was that he hasn't had any setbacks in his rehab and his recovery from the injury. It's just a matter of when he goes through a practice or goes through a scrimmage, he has some soreness afterwards and they're just mm-hmm. kind of trying to mitigate that. And it's just, it needs to get to a point where they're all kind of comfortable with it. So I would think that the fact that he's back in practice, I think we'll probably get a little bit more of an update, maybe even as soon as tonight. And there's even, I, I don't know, I'm not reporting anything, but there's maybe even yeah. a chance that he plays on Monday in the last game against the Timberwolves before they go out on a six game road trip. I think that's something that everybody would like to happen, but even besides Gary Payton, what you were saying about how many injuries they've dealt with, like Josh Nasir Little, a couple of games, mm-hmm. like that, right? The Nasir Little thing, you know, he's out for six weeks now with the hip injury, but like every single one of their rotation players has missed at least one game at some point yeah. in the season. Anthony Simons missed a couple of games with a foot thing. Nurkic has missed a couple of games. Jeremy Grant has missed a game or two. Justice Wint, like every single guy that they've had has been in and out of the lineup. And so it's been hard. And I realize that like every team deals with this kind of stuff, but it's like between the injuries and just how hard their schedule has been between how many good teams they've played and how many games they've played on the road. It is kind of hard to get a read on what they've, you know, how good they are or are not, which is why I said again, at the beginning of the season, if they could get through this stretch and get to Christmas at 500, they're fine. And I still think that, and I still think they're in a good position to do that. Yeah. And I think, Maybe especially the stretch when Dame was out, for better or for worse, sometimes that kind of injury uh, forces players into roles that they're not used to, needing them to take on a bigger share of the load. Mm-hmm. It worked out well, I think, for for Anthony Simon specifically and Jeremy Grant. But at the same time, you look at the leaderboards right now, Anthony Simons is leading the league in minutes per game. That's not always what you want to see, even though, I mean, he's obviously a great player having a great season. He's 22. He can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Um, Jeremy Grant is also in the top 10 in that metric as well. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the rotation, especially when guys have been missing games, what have been your thoughts on that? Or has it given people opportunities to to showcase in larger minutes than than we've seen before? Well, you're absolutely right that I think in an ideal world, they would like specifically Dame's minutes. They would like him to be, you know, he's 32 and he's coming off these injuries. They would like for his minutes to maybe be in the low 30s as opposed to the mid to high 30s. And I think with all these guys, they would like to keep their minutes down, but they've just had so many guys not available that they haven't been able to. But we saw at the beginning of the season that when they had relatively everybody healthy, that Chauncey Billups likes to play a nine-man rotation where it's the five starters and then Justice Winslow, Shaden Sharp, Drew Eubanks, and when he was healthy, Nasir Little. That was kind of the nine-man rotation that he liked to play at first. And then, you know, Trendon Watford gets hurt, and so Drew Eubanks has to play more. You know, now he's back and he's getting minutes. Keon Johnson, who just missed a month with a hip injury, is back now, and he just played the other night. And I think he's somebody that they also since they don't really have that many guards, he's somebody that I think they're going to give more minutes to just to take some of the ball handling and creating responsibilities away from Dame and Simons to cut their loads down a little bit. Obviously we already talked about Gary Payton, who supposedly is going to be back soon. And so once he's back, that's another guy you can plug in there to take some responsibility away from 
some of those other guys. So they have the guys. They have plenty of players. Even if you look down the at the end of the rotation, Jabari Walker, their second round pick out of Colorado, hasn't really played that much at all just because it's a really hard for a rookie who's a second round pick to crack the rotation consistently. But with all these injuries that they've had, there have been a few games here and there where he's gotten in and it's looked like he knows how to play in the NBA and he's been making positive things happen, but there just aren't minutes for a guy like that. I mean, this this is why I think that by the deadline, there's going to be some sort of consolidation trade. I don't know what it's going to be or who it's going to be or who it's going to be for or any of that, but I do think that just to balance the roster out, there's going to be some sort of move made to, you know, clean a lot of this stuff up and kind of clear up some of this logjam. Speaking about rookies, I was listening to an episode of your podcast, Rose Garden Report, and you had on friend of the show, Eric Garcia Gunderson, and you were talking about yep. the Shaden Sharp's performance in his season and making a comparison to similar vibes as Rudy Fernandez's uh, 2009 that is, season. Yeah. Wow. That you went, you went back in the archives. That was like yeah, the episode, couple. I think that we recorded the first week of the season when he was uh, right. I think I was after he had that game against Houston where he started for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. What have you seen from him so far that I guess has you making that kind of comparison? Well, I was shocked at how quickly he got into the rotation because I mean, I I'm sure everybody knows kind of his story and his, and you know, his path by this point, but he didn't play at Kentucky last year at all. And he was still the seventh overall pick because they just liked his talent and they liked his upside. But we kind of all thought that it was going to be a long-term project. And it was maybe because he was so inexperienced, even for a 19 year old rookie, because he didn't have any college experience and he hadn't really played at a high level competitively since high school. And he even re- reclassified his senior year. Yeah. 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 We, so Totally. And then even at summer league, everybody was looking forward to his summer league debut. He hurts his shoulder five minutes into the first summer league game, so He doesn't even play in summer league for the most part. And he's rehabbing the shoulder injury. So he isn't able to really do anything over the summer. And not only that, but you go into preseason. He played in all the preseason games. The two games where he looked really, really good were the game against Maccabi Ranana, which is obviously not an NBA team. Mm-hmm. That's an Israeli team that was playing some exhibition games and not even a good team in the Israeli league. My understanding is that that's like a second division Israeli league team. So he looked awesome against that team. And then he looked awesome in the game against the Warriors G leaguers when they weren't really playing any of their main guys. But in all the other games where both they and the other teams were playing all their guys, he looked like a 19-year-old kid who didn't know how to play in the NBA. And so I figured it was probably going to take until maybe January or even up until the All-Star break for him to be far enough along in his development that he would be able to actually earn minutes. And so I was shocked that not only did Chauncey Billups put him in in the first game of the season against Sacramento – But he was the second guy off the bench. Justice Winslow has been their sixth man most nights, but he's been their second guy off the bench pretty much every night. And he's been playing real minutes. And for the most part, he's looked like he belongs out there. Now, there's been a little bit of a regression the last couple of weeks. He isn't shooting as well. He's getting lost a lot on defense, which is all kind of stuff you expect from a rookie. But I think people have seen enough already that – I don't know. Like it probably will take until the end of the season for him to really become as consistent as they want him to be. But already he's way ahead of where certainly I thought and where I think a lot of people even in the organization thought he was going to be at this point. So 
that's something I think everybody's really encouraged by. And honestly, for Blazer fans that I talk to, they haven't really had a rookie that was exciting like this since Dame. Because even CJ McCollum didn't really play that much his rookie year. It wasn't until his second or third year that he really started to break out. And so having a rookie like this, especially somebody who, you know, you see his, you know, the way that he plays and, you know, pretty much every game, there's some sort of crazy highlight dunk or even a super athletic floater that, you know, is all over social media. Like that's kind of why I had the Rudy Fernandez comparison, because remember Mm -hmm. Rudy's rookie year before he had that in that back injury in the game against the Lakers, where he had that hard foul from Trevor Ariza. And that basically messed up his, the rest of his career after that. Yeah. That was kind of his thing too. And he did the dunk contest that yeah, year. I yeah. wouldn't be honestly surprised if Shaden gets invited to the do the dunk contest this year. Cause that's at least once a game, he has some sort of highlight like that, that, you know, is, is all over Twitter and is, is getting people excited. So he's definitely somebody that they're pretty excited about, but he's, he's, he's still a rookie and you still see that sometimes. Maybe it's becoming a bit of a moot point with how much he's improving, but do you feel like there needs to be, specific devotion of time towards the development of his minutes to make sure that he gets his reps in. What I'm saying is sometimes if you're a team in transition, you have to sort of choose between, you know, trying to maximize wins now and trying to get your young players the appropriate amount of repetitions and minutes. And sometimes those goals are at odds with each other. Do you feel like that's at all the case here or no? Well, it just kind of varies night to night because one thing about Chauncey Billups is that he has no qualms about playing a rookie or playing a young player if they aren't hurting you. I mean, he it, it's a little bit of a different situation than it was mm-hmm. last year because, you know, last year, especially the second half of the season, once they shut Dame down and traded CJ and traded all their other, you know, veterans. And the whole point of the second half of last season was we're going to throw these young guys out there and let them play through mistakes and, just let them develop and not really worry about winning games. And in fact, actively try not to win games. (laughs) But uh, now it's like, you know, they are trying to strike a balance because, you know, they have Dane back. They made all of these moves to bring in Jeremy Grant and to bring in Gary Payton, the second, who's again, is going to play at some point, but those were their big acquisitions. So they didn't do that to just have another developmental year. They did that to try to make the playoffs and try to do something if Shaden Sharp is actively hurting their chances of winning, which hasn't really been the case too many nights, if he's act, but if he's hurting their chances of winning, if he gets lost in a couple of defensive rotations, with how close the West is standings wise, they can't really afford to just leave him out there and lose a game because you're developing him because they are trying to make the playoffs this year. But I do think that there is a willingness on the part of Chauncey Billups to trust him for extended stretches and leave him out there and trust that. I mean, the thing that I've heard about him really going back to training camp is that he learns really quickly and he doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes twice. Like if he came in like at the beginning of training camp and didn't really know a lot of the sets, you explain something to him once and he just picks it up right away from there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Well, the NBA season is heating up and there are still so many unknowns. Like for instance, will Benedict Matherin challenge Paulo Bencaro for Rookie of the Year? When will Paul George and Kawhi Leonard actually play in the same game again this season? Will anyone other than the Bulls and Cavaliers beat the Celtics? Is Luka Doncic going to average 35 points per game while his team finishes below 500? The questions are endless. When people I know are looking to get in on the action, they bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win its game and get $150 in free bets if it does. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlay. You just go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets, like which team will win, who will grab more rebounds, and a lot more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, and the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win its game and get $150 in free bets if it does. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. I'm Jason Gallagher with the old man in the three, and you're listening to On the NBA for this next segment, there are two guys who are having career years that I want to focus on. First, Jeremy Grant. Looks like he's taken a big step forward career season so far at age 28. Specifically, it seems like he's taken a step forward with regards to his three-point shooting. He's shooting by far the mm-hmm. best percentage of his career from three-point land. I think last time I checked, it was around 44%, his highest average for a full season previous to that was 39%. Several years ago, his last season in OKC, and it was a much lower volume. He's had several nights of huge scoring output, 44 points against the Knicks. How do you think the Blazers have utilized him differently from his previous stops in his career that's created this career season for him? Well, he's just found the perfect, you know, the exact right balance. And this is something that we've talked about really since they brought him in. Part of the reason that he left Denver, I mean, they offered him the same amount of money that uh, Detroit did, but I think he felt like he wanted to spread his wings a little bit and you know be able to do more as a primary option on offense, maybe more so than he was going to be able to do in Denver. And so maybe in that situation, he was taking a little bit too much of a step back and a little bit too much of a background role. So he went to Detroit, and it was not a very good Detroit team where he was clearly the number one option on offense, and he was the featured guy, and he was the leading scorer and the go-to option you know, on offense and all that kind of stuff. And he proved that he's capable of averaging 20 points a game and getting his numbers and doing all that stuff. But in that situation, it was a, you know just good stats, bad team type of situation where you're not going to really win anything if he's your number one option every single night and he's your best player. So this spot that he kind of finds himself in in Portland is kind of the perfect middle ground between those two situations where he's not the first option most nights because everybody knows it's still Dane's show. But he can be that guy. You, you, you mentioned that game against the Knicks where you know Dane was out in that game and he was able to do that. And he's had a couple of other 30-plus point games this season. He had that game winner against Phoenix. He's been able to do that stuff and he can do that from time to time when you need him to so this is like the perfect spot for him now as far as the three-point shooting being so much higher than it was before I don't think that's crazy or fluky I don't know if it's going to be what is he now like 46 percent or something wild like that I don't think it's going to stay that high but I don't see why it can't stay above 40 because if you look at the shots he's taking it's not like he's taking a bunch of like Dame pull-up threes from 35 feet and randomly hitting them and you think, oh, this is a total fluke. 
because he's playing with guys like Dame and like Anthony Simons, who teams have to focus all their attention on, he's getting a ton of open catch and shoot looks where he just gets the ball and nobody's on him. He can just knock those down and he's knocking them down. Yeah. And Simons and Grant are probably the, the best two and three options that Dame's had in his career. Uh, unless I'm, I mean, LaMarcus and like, but two, maybe I guess, yeah. Yes, that's probably as far back as you got to go because in those Dame CJ years, they never had a third guy half as good as either of those guys. Yeah, I mean, I guess you it would have have been like CJ and Nurkic even like Al Farouk Aminu or something like that. No, this is this is easily the most talented team that Dame has had since those Lamarcus Batum, Wes Matthews, Robin Lopez teams. And Simon specifically has had also like several games where he's just gone off. 45 points against the Jazz, one that jumps out. Games where he's just gone into unstoppable scoring mode. Sometimes not even games, but like quarters where he's done so. Do you have a favorite memory of a time where you've seen that happen from this season? Well, we're talking about from this season or from all time? Because my, still to me, the definitive Anthony Simons game, because I've covered him his whole career. He was, he came in as a first round pick in 2018, 19. He barely played at all his rookie season. But the last game in this 2018, 19, this was the year that they made the conference finals. But his last game of his rookie season was against Sacramento. And that was you know, it's the last game of the season and teams do all kinds of weird stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. you know how the last day of the season is like the, is like the day where every team plays at the same time. And, yeah. you know, all these playoff seeds are up in the air and they schedule all the games at the same time on purpose so that nobody can like try to do anything weird to yep. mess with the standings. So that game, Terry Stotts rests all their main guys. And so he, I think he plays like six guys in that game and Simons is one of them. And the Kings, because they just are like, we don't want to just give you guys, we, we don't want to just give you guys a win. We're going to just, even though they were kind of out of the playoff mix at that time, they played all their guys and they were up like 27. And then at halftime, Dave Yeager, this is like the last game that Dave Yeager coached before he got fired in Sacramento. At halftime, Yeager pulled all of his main guys and just like played his, you know, end of the bench guys the whole second half. And Anthony Simons like goes off for 38 and wins them the game and accidentally sets up that Oklahoma City matchup in the first round where Dame hits the shot at the So I think that's still like my just just because it was so weird and funny and unexpected. I think that was my favorite uh Anthony Simons game. But as far as from this season, I think the first big one was the first game against Denver which I think was like the third or fourth game of the season where he had 22 points in the third quarter and I I don't know if you know my buddy Danny Morang who's Mm -hmm. a host of the Jack Ramsey's podcast and is a radio host on 1080 here in Portland he has been from the beginning of his career the biggest Anthony Simons I guess booster and advocate that there is and at games at home games Danny and I like we're pretty good friends but he and I sit next to each other and so during that whole stretch in the third quarter when he started going off every time he knocks down another three I just look over at Danny and just like look at his face and like I took a couple pictures of like his reactions and posted on social media so just from that standpoint I thought you know that 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 stuff is pretty fun but yeah I mean as far as like his the role that he's taken this season he's another guy where he kind of has had to now navigate a role this season that he's never really had before because at the beginning of last season, before Dame got shut down and before CJ and Norm Powell got traded, 
he was still coming off the bench and he still didn't have like a consistent role or consistent minutes every night because they just had so many guys at those positions. And then the second half of the season, after Dame gets shut down with the ab surgery and CJ and Norm get traded, now he's the guy and he's the guy, you know, he they just say, hey, you go out, go off for 30 or whatever every night in games that we're not trying to win. And so he kind of had those two extremes and now he's kind of in a situation like Jeremy Grant where he's playing next to Dame, but he's like the number two guy. And it's been an adjustment for him. And there have been some times this season, we, if you look at his first half of, of a game splits versus his second half of a game splits, I don't have it in front of me, but at least as of like a week ago, the last time I looked at it, his stats in the first half of games are not very good, but his stats in the second halves of games are off the charts. So sometimes it takes a couple of quarters for him to really get into a rhythm and get going. But you really look at, you know, he didn't have a very good game against Denver the other night, but since other than that, he's been lights out the last couple of weeks, really. Have you noticed a contrasting style of play for the Blazers in general post McCollum trade now that Simons is Lillard's primary backcourt running mate? Well, a lot of it is just the personnel is so different. And right. they have. I think the difference between this year and previous years, whether it be those last couple of years under Terry Stotts or even last season under Chauncey Billups, is they have the kinds of personnel that wants to play the way that Chauncey Billups wants to play. If you remember last year, he got kind of put in a tough spot as far as the team that he was given, where you know he came in talking about, I want a tough, defensive-minded team. And you still have this roster that has just a ton of undersized guards that aren't really good defenders, and you are expecting him to try to play that style with those guys, and he wasn't going to be able to do it. You look at all the guys that have been brought in really since Joe Cronin took over as the GM in the middle of last season, actually about a year ago. It's all, you know, Josh Hart they got at the trade deadline in the CJ trade. Justice Winslow they got in that trade with the Clippers. Jeremy Grant, they traded for this offseason. Gary Payton II, who is going to play at some point, they signed as a free agent. They kind of realized that if you're going to have the two undersized guards as your two leading scorers type of thing, like they have with Damon Simons now and they had with Damon CJ for years before that, you pretty much have to just surround them with athletic wings that can defend multiple positions. And that's kind of the way that Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups have sort of prioritized building the roster is just getting guys that make sense around Dame and Simons. And so far, it seems like they've been able to do that. Yeah. And speaking of Josh Hart and Justice Winslow, I know typically when, when everyone's healthy, Justice Winslow is the first man off the bench. But it does seem like statistically also what people tend to know about their games, it seems like their roles would be uh, dependent on the matchup and the game situation. Is that accurate? Or is there a lot of difference in how Hart and Winslow are being used and when when one would be relied upon o- over the other? Well, I think in an ideal world, they would have liked Josh Hart to be coming off the bench. I think the original plan was for Nasir Little to win the starting small sure. forward spot yeah. out of training camp. But they just Based on who just had the better training camp, I think they, you know, that's why they kind of gave that spot to Josh Hart. I think just because of his ability to create, which they don't really have anybody who can do that outside of Damon Simons, I think they would like to have somebody like that in the second unit. But just Josh Hart was so much better than everybody else in training camp that they couldn't really keep him out of the starting lineup. The Justice Winslow thing is interesting because he's been starting a bunch of games because they've just had so many injuries. And in some of those games where Dame was out, they kind of had him as a de facto point guard, but then they've also had lineups. 
at different points this season. I, the opening game against Sacramento comes to mind, and then the one in Miami that they won on the Josh Hart buzzer beater. They were playing some lineups, like if it's a bad matchup for Nurkic, that they would have some line, some small lineups where they play Justice Winslow at the five, and mm-hmm. he's able to do that in some of those smaller lineups too. So he's kind of just all over the place. Yeah, he's just very versatile. And mm-hmm. I guess one thing about Winslow is, I mean, he's never necessarily been known for his shooting, but he's having a, a lot of trouble in the shooting department this season. You don't necessarily rely on him for his scoring offense, more more as like a facilitator, as he said, but is that of concern to you? I mean, I definitely think that whenever he's out there, it is a little bit of a shooting liability, which is why I think there was a thought that maybe you want to play him with like Dame Simons and mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant so that you have a lot of shooters out there around him so that, you know, a lot of the offensive attention isn't on him. Yeah, I don't know. His 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 role is interesting. He wasn't brought in as a shooter and he, you know, can score around the basket. But uh, I, th- I think some of the other stuff that he does, the playmaking and then the defensive stuff, I think is more what they rely on him for. I have a ton more on my sheet, but I think I'll keep it to one last question. Okay. And thank you for all the time you spent with us today. Mm-hmm. Another side effect returning to the the fact that the West has been so crowded this year. Another side effect of that is it's going to be really hard for any team to have more than one all-star selection, I think. And the Blazers specifically, I think, have three guys who we've talked about who have legitimate candidacies. Damian Lillard, I would say the only knock against him is that he's missed 11 games. Right. Um, otherwise, he's he has the name recognition. And I think the, he'll get there. He's been, he's been good enough when he's played that I think he's like the coach. If he's not a voter as a starter, the coaches are going to put him in because he is who he is. I think he's a lock. Do you think either Simons or Grant could get a spot there too? I think it would depend on their record. And again, with the West being so bunched up, if when the coaches have to vote for the reserves, if at that exact moment, the Blazers are like fourth in the West or, you know, in the kind of that above the play in type of part of the standings, I could see it. But again, the West is just, I mean, I'll I'll say this, the team and the players and stuff, they've been really pushing Jeremy. They've been all talking about like, oh, he should be an all-star. You know, this is this like he's the out of of the non-Dame guys. He's the one that they've been pushing pretty hard. Mm. So there's going to be a campaign to get him in there. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the, you know, front court players that have to be in there from the West, like obviously Jokic has to be in there. I mean, even though the Lakers are not good, like you probably have to put LeBron and AD in there because they're probably going to get in there. I mean, Paul George is going to be in there for the Clippers. Like, there's just a lot of guys. I mean, it's just like the reason that like CJ McCollum for years was playing at an all-star level, but there are just so many good guards in the West that he was just never able to make it onto one of the teams. So I think they might be running into that same thing with the all-stars, but they they are really pushing Jeremy and you know pushing that he has a case. There's just, as you said, so many guys. Zion is a lock. Of course, yeah. I forgot about Zion. He has to be in there. Other people in the front court, like you might consider... DeAndre Ayton. Ayton maybe Markinen, depending on how the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to put... Markinen's got to be in the mix. Yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of guys. Like, it's just... it's The West is deep. I think Dame is a lock because he is who he is, but I think it's going to be hard for any of these first-time guys to get in unless they have a really good record by the time they have to make that decision. Yep, makes sense. 
Sean, thank you again. It's been a pleasure talking to you as it always is. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge on the Blazers and hopefully we can get you back before another seven years goes by. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's always good to talk to you. Another huge thanks again to Sean Hyken. If you want to see more Blazers discussion, you can follow him at Hyken, H-I-G-H-K-I-N on Twitter and subscribe to both the Rose Garden Report newsletter and podcast. Your host for this episode was me, Lauren Lee Chen. And as always, I had editing and production help from my co-host, Aaron Fishman. You can find more from us on Twitter at Lauren L. Chen and at by Aaron Fish, respectively. And you can follow the show at OnTheNBABeat or at OnTheNBABeat.com. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe for more episodes by searching On the NBA Beat wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, it'd be much appreciated if you dropped a five-star rating and review while you're there. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.